All right, good morning, everybody. Just with, um, with Love Joburg, you can get involved in so many ways. We need people praying. Uh, there's packs that people are putting together. There's a financial need. There's a variety of ways that we as a church are called to be involved. So I know some of you might now think it's a bit daunting to go and lay hands on someone. You're wondering, how do I pray? Sometimes just go with. Just go with and be a part of a team and encourage a team and um, just... Just pray in the background, and God, God, God is going to use us. God's calling us. A lot of what we're preaching at the moment, and in fact, what we should be preaching from the beginning of time, right up until Jesus comes back, is this, about us having this good news that you and I are called to go out with. So that's really good. It's really, really good. The prayer and fasting was fantastic. It was a wonderful time, and um, if you weren't here, if you didn't fast, we're not going to condemn you. Please don't feel that at all. But what you do need to do is you do need to ask God and ask what was said? What is God saying to this church? Because you being here says to me, I'm part of Cornerstone Church. And being part of Cornerstone Church means God, when he speaks to Cornerstone Church, he's speaking to every single individual person who's a part of Cornerstone Church. And I think a lot of what God is saying is not just for this church, not just for the nine sites that we represent, but for the church across the city, across this nation. God is speaking. And if you believe Jesus is coming back soon, if you think he's not coming back soon, well, how do you know that? Tell me, how would you know that Jesus is not coming back soon? But you and I need to just have this, this thought for a moment, and sometimes we don't like thinking about it, because we think about, Lord, I'm not married yet, or Lord, I haven't had that yet, and I haven't had that Ferrari yet, and so you can't come back yet, Jesus, until the bucket list is at least half done. Some of us don't want to think about Jesus coming back in case our thinking urges him to come back. Well, it's out of our, it's out of our hands, really. But what if he comes back way sooner than you think? And so you and I, God is stirring us the church to action. He's waking us up and saying, church, do you remember I'm coming back? And I've asked you to do something before I come back. Will you do it? And so we are being stirred, not by each other, but by God himself. And God is saying, church, if you need the motivation, here is my spirit. He's coming on you to empower you and to give you courage and boldness. All the things that you say, Lord, you can't use me because I'm not. He says, I know you're not. But let me give you what you need so that you can be all that I need you to be. To love the people around you. To love the city. I know I'm, I'm wrestling a lot with my own heart. And I'm saying, Lord, look at this heart. This heart at times just feels so hard. And this heart feels so um, driven by the wrong things. And so um, unmoved in many ways. But I tell you what, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking a hammer and hitting this thing here in my heart. I'm coming before God with a bent knee and saying, Lord, here's my heart. Come, Lord, and, and as she said this morning, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And uh, on Friday night, in fact, it was last night, last night here in this building, as we had corporate prayer, there was this beautiful moment where we looked at where, where, where John says, he says, Lord, you must increase. Speaking of Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. In other words, Lord, you must become more and I must become less. In other words, Lord, you must be seated on the throne and I need to get off the throne. You, Lord, need to stand tall and glorious and I need to come on my knees before you, humble and low. And that's the response that you and I need to ask, can I do that? What I love with that passage where John says he must increase and I must decrease, right before that, that revelation, John says this, my joy is complete. 
I want to encourage you, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for peace and hope and destiny and identity and all the things that we as people wrestle with on a day-to-day basis about who we are, what we're called to do, what's the purpose of living and life and, and all of these things, start by this place on your knees before Jesus and say, Lord, you are king and I'm yours. I humble myself before you. Out of that place, you'll find so many more answers. Your joy will be complete. And that bowing of our knee is not an enforced submission that a ruthless ruler enforces upon you and me. It's a joyful response out of service to a king who is worthy and he is good. If your knees to bow to anybody, man, let it be to King Jesus because he's good and he loves you and he cares for you. Out of his goodness to you, you'll just find yourself on your knees with your hands up and saying, Jesus, you're so good and I want to worship you with all that I have. We sang about it this morning. Did you pick that up? We crown you King of Majesty. You sang that. If you're not doing that, why did you sing it? (laughs) But I'm hoping you'll convince your heart this morning, Lord, I crown you King of Majesty. You are King. You are Lord. He is King. And we have this opportunity to bow our knees before him, to say, Lord, you're glorious. And um, this morning I'm hoping, as I'm, I'm going to try and go through this preach a lot quicker. Lord, may a miracle happen and may I preach quickly. Um, I want us to get a breaking bread this morning. And we're going to sing some more a little bit later on. But the reason why I want that to happen is because that's where I think our response, your response is going to take place. So I'm setting you up now because I'm going to give you some time to prepare your heart. I want you to prepare your heart to respond to God, not to me, not to anything that we do as people, but what God is doing here this morning, what God has been doing for the last months, and what God is going to be doing for the next long while, is God is going to ask you this morning, will you be a little bit vulnerable with your heart this morning? Would you let down the God? Would you let down the, the, the defense that you and I hold on to? For the guys at home, get, get prepared for breaking bread later. But let me say this up front. I think for many of us, we are overprotective of our hearts. For different reasons. Some of us are protective of our hearts because we're too afraid to get hurt. We're too afraid to trust people. Maybe people have hurt your heart before. And so now you're just saying, Lord, this is, there's no access to anyone here. This is mine and no one gets to touch it. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to change. You're so afraid that if you open up your heart, someone's going to change you. God's going to change you into something you're scared to be or become. And so maybe you're a little bit afraid. Maybe you're proud. You say, Lord, no one touches this heart but me. This is mine. No one gets to this place. There's a variety of, of, of reasons why you might have your heart a little bit blocked up, a little bit protected, a little bit um, um, isolated. Let me tell you this. Psalm 139, David says this. He says, Lord, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from you that I could run away from you? Let me tell you this. doesn't matter how protective you are of your heart, God will get there. It doesn't matter how big your wall is, right? doesn't matter how you try and resist someone coming into your heart. God says, I'll get there. You know why? Because God made your heart. He created your heart. And he gave it to you with love. And he says, I've created you. In that same psalm, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. Fearfully and wonderfully I made you. God's given you the very thing that you're so afraid to open up. And he says, but I'll come in. And I'm going to ask you this morning that your response, that my response would be a response of vulnerability. That we would say, Lord, remove my pride, remove my arrogance, remove my fear, remove my doubt and my uncertainty. But Lord, here I give you my heart. 
I give you my heart. And if you can trust anyone with your heart, let it be the Father who gave it to you in the first place. And I feel this morning that God is going to do something with your heart. Something that a loving Father would do with your heart. For some of your hearts, it's going to get cut this morning. And that's okay. It's a good thing. Because the one who's cutting loves you. And is going to cut it for good. For some of you, your heart's going to get convicted this morning. And that's a good thing. Because the Father who loves you says, I need to sort something out in your life. In order for you to do all that God has called you to do. For some of you, God is just going to love you and nurture you. He's going to heal. He's going to make it bigger. He's going to make it beat louder. He's going to make the blood flow even, even faster through you. That You're going to feel emotions that you've been longing to feel for so long. I've been singing for the last while, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, Lord, do that this morning. So when we break bread, when we acknowledge Jesus and who he is, I'm asking that by that time where we get there, and only you can do this, Would you open up the defense of your heart and say, Lord, here it is. It's vulnerable, but I give it to you. Are you ready for that? Well, you've got some time. Hopefully you get there. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. All right. We're continuing our series in Acts. And um, in the last few weeks, we've gone through Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, right up to verse 36. We see that the promise of the Holy Spirit was made and he he comes. He comes in this most wonderful way. And he, he, he fills all of those who are praying. All the followers. The 120 in the upper room. And we see these tongues of fire come upon them. We see they start speaking in tongues. We see this, this, verbal, this verbal response to being filled with the Holy Spirit. The church is empowered. As Jesus said, you will be empowered. And as a result, we see this crowd starts to, starts to be drawn in. And they start to look at the disciples and the followers of Jesus. And some of them are mocking and cynical and say, oh, they're drunk with wine. Nine o'clock in the morning. That's the accusation because of what's happening. But then what happens when we looked at this last week, Peter stands up and Peter starts to preach. And last week we looked at how awesome that was, knowing who Peter was 50 days ago. And knowing what Peter did for the last three years how he got to that place of being able to stand up and preach and looking at the promises and the prophecies that were made by God in the Old Testament, Peter preaches this, 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 this great message of who Jesus is, of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. And um, we looked at that last week. This morning, we're going to look at the response out of that preach. What came out of this preach? So let's read from verse 37. It should appear up on the screen, but it's always good that you read it in your own Bible. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, this being the preach that Peter just gave, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
What a great outcome off of the preach. And I've heard some commentators say it wasn't even the great preach. It wasn't even an awesome preach if preachers are comparing preachers and we shouldn't do that, but some people do. And they say, well, Peter, you could have done better. Well, what he did seemed pretty good to me, right? And we're going to look at some of what happened out of that response because I think it's going to encourage us when we preach. Remember last week we said every single one of us are called to be preachers. All of us, whether you preach to your friend over a coffee table or whether you're preaching in a stadium, you're a preacher, all right? Settle that. How are we going to preach and also how we need to respond to God's word. So let's have a look. We see straight away in verse 37, Peter's preaching this first sermon, but he's being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not holding back. He's challenging the crowd with the gospel. The best message Peter has is not about explaining the tongues. It's not about explaining what's going on. It's not about explaining what the church is. He says, no, let me tell you about Jesus. That is the best message he knows he can bring, and he does that. And the response from the hearers is they were cut to the heart. What I love about this, there were no fancy sales techniques that were being implemented here. We see later on in um, the letters to the churches, Paul writes, and Paul also gets to preach a whole lot in his life. He preached a lot, I'm sure. But look what Paul even says. He says, I didn't come to you with wise or persuasive words. He didn't come as a salesman learning a sales pitch to sell his product. He didn't do that, but he says, I come preaching Christ. And preaching him crucified. So if you're wondering what's the sales pitch to sell Jesus? No. Preach Jesus. There's no sales pitcher. There's no charismatic personality. This was a fisherman who came and spoke to a crowd. There was no fancy personality. There was no um, emotive setting where somebody had the keyboard and played very somber music that forced you to respond. There were no puppies with puppy eyes looking at you and saying, please listen to what I'm saying. There's none of that. There was no sales pitch where it said, hey, if you accept Jesus now, we will throw in a baptism. And if you accept him now, so you'll get a free gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you say? Are you in? There was none of that. Instead, the gospel was preached. And this is what happens. This is what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit moved because the gospel was preached. Encouragement for you and me is when we share God's word, the pressure is not for us to be fancy salespeople. We don't need to look for the fancy techniques, but all we need to do is speak the truth of God, of Jesus, of Him crucified, of Him resurrected, and of His salvation, and His salvation for all people. And the Spirit will do the work of cutting people to the heart, and that should give us peace. The Spirit convicts people, He convicts Him of sin and righteousness. The response that, that came 3,000 souls is not a small response. Not because of the, of, of the number of people, but because of who the people were. Some of those who responded to the message of Jesus, to the gospel of Jesus, were cynical a few minutes earlier. They were laughing at the, at the apostles, and now they're saying, what can we do? Some of those who responded 50 days ago were giving their vote to see Jesus crucified. Now they're saying, I want to follow this same Jesus that I said should die 50 days ago. Something changed in their heart. This was a big thing. Most of those who heard that day, that morning, were Jews. And what they were doing and saying, I'm following Jesus, is I'm giving up on the religious leaders that I've followed all my life. I'm giving up on this religious de- denomination that I've been a part of. 
the, 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 the legalism that I followed, the law that I followed. So in that moment, they said, I'm giving all of that up. Imagine you in a moment saying, I'm giving up all of my life to follow this man, Jesus, in that moment. This was not a small sales moment. This was the Holy Spirit moving, getting into the hearts of men and women and saying, what has been said, you need. Decide now. And they responded, yes. They said, yes. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, it says the word of God, the word that was preached, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That is the Bible. Have you thought about that? I forget this too often. But the Bible is so piercing that it can go into the depths of you and me, to the places that no man could ever get to, that I think you and I cannot even get into. God's word gets into that place and does a work in us. I've heard this quote before, and I'm, I, I think I'll get the gist of it. But it says that when we read scripture, scripture also reads us. When we are dissecting scripture, scripture is dissecting you and me. It reveals us. It goes to our depths. When you read God's word, you're not just analyzing a book. That book is analyzing you. You're not just... Be, information from God's word has not been revealed to you, but God's word's revealing you as well. You start to see who you are. You start to understand who, who, who your character is, who your personality is. There's conviction that comes. God's word is so living and active, it does a work in you and me, even while we think that we're doing a work in it. There was a deep conviction in their hearts. The Holy Spirit opened their eyes. It showed them that they need to pursue relationship with this man, with this king, Jesus, instead of pursuing a dead religion. And they were convicted of their sin, and they responded. Jesus says in John 16, verse 7 to 11, he says, this is what the Spirit would do. The Spirit will come to convict the world. He will come. He'll convict the world. And the Spirit came and he did that in that moment. The hearer's reaction to Peter's sermon is this beautiful sign of revival. There's revival that's taking place. And one of the key signs is because often you'll find, and we do it here a lot, when the preacher preaches, at the end of that preach, he'll try and nudge you how you should respond. Have you guys noticed that? We'll say to you, cool, I've preached this message Here's how I suggest I think you should respond. I think you should pray maybe this prayer. Or I think maybe you should come to the front and respond to God, I think. Or I think you should ask God of this, of this, of this. We often, as preachers, will try and help you and say, I think you should respond. Well, what's the difference here? Peter didn't have to ask that. They said, I need to respond. The difference here is that they said, wait a minute, I've heard what you've said. Brothers, what should we do? Tell me what I need to do. When you are responding like that, I'm not saying you need to respond like that for me this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm secure. But when you are responding like that to God, then you are responding with revival in your heart. When you are coming before God and saying, God, I heard something of your word today. I heard something of you this morning. I heard something about the prayer and fasting, about love, Jobic. Lord, here I am, Lord. What, what can I do? What am I to do? God says, good. I've got your attention. Let's, let's do something. Let me deal with your heart. Let me, let me do something in you. 
That response is what we're longing for in ourselves, but that response is what we're longing for in our city. We're longing that as you and I will go out and we'll pray for people and we encourage people and we tell them about Jesus, that we don't have to be good salespeople. We don't have to come with a fancy sales pitch, but we tell them about Jesus and this incredible man who loves them and died for them and saves them and is promising them a life eternal in his kingdom forevermore, free of sin and pain and all these horrible things that people would hear what you have to say. They would see the life that you live and who you are. They would see the joy of, of Christ in you and they'd see the love of God in you. That they would say, tell me no more. What do I do? How do I respond? How cool would that be? But often I think we're, we're trying to coerce people into Christianity. The Spirit says, I will work in their hearts that they would come to a place of saying, Lord, what should we do? There's not always response. You'll know that. And don't allow rejection of people to mean that your message shouldn't be said. We see in Acts 5, it says when they heard the word, the response was that they wanted to kill those who preached. I hope that never happens to you, but that happens. In Acts 7, we see, we see that when they heard the word of God, they were enraged and they would ground their teeth at him, at the preacher. So it's not always going to be like it was in Acts 2. But God says, go, go and share the gospel. Go and speak my word. Let's go look at verse 38. We see Peter says, repent, be baptized. Every one of you, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus, through the gospel, has made three provisions for us. We're going to look at these very quickly. The first, Jesus says, what he gives to us is the opportunity for you and I to repent. The gospel allows you and I to come to a place of repentance. You might say repentance of what? <laughs> if you don't know what to repent of, there's a problem. Some people say, why do I need a savior? I don't need saving. Well, we do. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of God's glory. And God reveals it. The Spirit reveals it. The Spirit reveals in our hearts the sin that we've allowed in. Perhaps this morning, the Holy Spirit will reveal in some of our hearts this morning sin that you and I have entertained far too long. And he says, this needs to stop. Will you deal with it today? But now repentance, repentance is a, it's a wonderful word and it's a powerful response. This intellectual repentance and emotional repentance and, and repentance that requires action. There is the sorrow that you and I would feel, the guilt that you and I would feel, but that's not repentance. That's just us feeling emotional for our wrongdoings. Have you felt that before? When you mess up? Some of you can brush off the shoulder quite easily. Some of you, it'll plague you for a week. Growing up as a kid, if I messed up and I felt like I messed up with God, man, it would haunt me for days. And I'd have to do a whole lot of good to try and earn back God's love. I misunderstood God's love and His grace. But um, we do. We feel the guilt. We feel the sorrow. We feel helpless in a sense. But repentance is then that we come to an action where you and I We'll look at what we were doing and we make a decision to change. We say, I was going in this way and I'm making a 180 degree turn to go in the opposite direction. The path I was on that was leading to death and destruction, I'm choosing to turn away from that path and go back on the path that Jesus has called me to. The things that I'm entertaining that I shouldn't, I'm going to acknowledge them and I'm going to chase them away. I'm going to let go of them. I'm going to put them away. I'm going to close those doors. That's part of repentance. But repentance also, and this is important, is coming to a place where you realize you cannot save yourself. 
Repentance is you coming to a place saying, I see my sin and I see my fault and I see my weaknesses and I see my disobedience and I see how I'm dishonoring God. And some of you will say, well, I'll fix this, God. Repentance is saying, God, I can do nothing about this. I can turn my back on it, but I can't save me. Jesus, I need you. And you know what's great? Jesus doesn't say deal with this on your own. He says, can I come and deal with it for you? Can I come and give you the blood that needs to be paid for the sin that you've committed? And he says, here's my blood. Here's my body. We're going to break bread later and we're going to do that. But Jesus says, repentance is you coming to a place saying, Lord, I need you to save me. I need a savior who is righteous, who is perfect, who is a worthy sacrifice on my behalf. Repentance is you saying, Jesus, I need you to save my life. And you're saying, come save me, Jesus. And as he saves you and he frees you from the grips of sin and the grips of death and the grips of condemnation and guilt, Jesus says, I've set you free. Then you turn away from that and you say, you'll become my testimony, but you're not who I am anymore. And you turn and you go following Christ. And when that door knocks again and says, remember me? Why don't you come back to me? He said, no, Lord Jesus, please set me free from that again and again and again. Even when Jesus was tempted by the devil, the devil says, I'll come back for a more opportune time. But Jesus saves us. He sets us free. And repentance is saying, Lord, help me get away from that. Set me free from that. You and I are called to repentance. The Holy Spirit will lead us to repentance. He convicts the hearts of the listeners when the word of God is spoken. And I'm asking, Lord, this morning, for your heart, that you'd be vulnerable. And you say, Lord, if there's anything in me, that needs to be cut or convicted of. If I need to repent this morning, you go before him. In 1 John, he says, he is faithful that if you ask for forgiveness, he will give you forgiveness. He's not going to ask you to jump through hoops today. He's not going to ask you to, to, to perform a whole lot of sacrifices. We're not going to get up another basket and say, guys, for your sins, come and pay atonement. We're not doing that. We're saying, go to the one who will forgive you. Go to the one where you ask repentance. His name's Jesus. All right. Jesus then says, we ought to be baptized. Peter says, as a response to salvation, repent, but then be baptized. Baptized in water. That is our, our symbolic um, um, expression of what has happened in our hearts. We're showing the world, I want you to know what I've done in my heart, what's happened in my heart. I want you to see that I've died to who I was, to all those sins that I've just repented of. I've died to that. And I come out of this water as a new living person, a son and daughter of, of God. I'm choosing Christ. There's a beautiful symbolism in water baptism. It is not a strange little thing that we do to wet people and say, cool, now we've rubber stamped you, you belong to us. It's a symbolic gesture to the heavenlies and to the world that I have accepted Jesus as my, as my Lord and Savior. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior here this morning, for those at home, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you've not been baptized, I wonder why. I'm wondering why. It might be that either you're thinking, I'm afraid I'll lose my salvation, so let me not commit yet. I don't think you understand salvation then. It might be that um, I don't know if I'm really saved. So maybe I shouldn't get baptized if I'm not sure if I'm really saved. I don't think you understand salvation then. We want to help you with this. It might be that you're too shy. All these people might be strangers. And I don't want people to see me go under the water and come out the water. Or we can do it with people who love you and people that you don't feel shy around. We'll get a, a handful of people. That should not stop your baptism, being shy. It might be, I don't know if I want to fully commit to Jesus yet. And that 
looks like it's full commitment, you don't understand salvation either. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you have not been baptized, I'm not bringing condemnation. I want to set you free to be baptized. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to one of the elders. But if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to get baptized. Why? Jesus says you should. Lord, what do I do now that I've heard the gospel? Repent. Be baptized. Let's do it. And then he says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we've been preaching for the last few weeks. Lord, you've promised us him. You promised, Lord, that we won't be orphans. You promised you'd give us a helper, an advocate, one who would lead us, one who would uh, empower us, one who would love us, one who would give us fruit inside of us, Lord, that we'd be filled with joy and love and peace and self-control. All those things that we as people are dry of because this world grips us of it. Lord, you come and make us into new, living, loving people. Holy Spirit, come. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's there. He's there. He's in you. Now, what needs to change is that you start to identify that he's there. What we've been praying for us as a church in the last few weeks is, Lord, you're here in the depths of us. Romans says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will come and testify with your spirit. He comes into who you are and he says, I want to tell you who you are. You're a son and you're a daughter of God. That you can now cry out to God, Abba, Father, The fact that you can do that is because the Holy Spirit's already doing the work inside of you. The fact that you can call Jesus your Lord and Savior is because the Holy Spirit's already done a saving work inside of you. So he's there. We're not looking up at the rafters and saying, come, wind, suddenly he's here. He's there living inside of you because the promise was that you would have him. Now what you need to do and what I need to do is say, Lord, come and manifest in me. Come, Lord, and reveal yourself to me. Can I hear your voice? Can I feel your work? Can I feel your, your fruit start to bear fruit inside of me? Can I feel that love? Can I feel that peace? Can I feel that kindness and gentleness? But then, can I even feel the gifts, Lord, that you choose to give of prophecy, of tongues? Can I start to pray for people and see them healed, Lord, because you're here with me? Can I even, Lord, see you work through me? Can you give me boldness to tell someone about Jesus? Can you give me love, Lord, to love people that I perhaps could never have loved before? Give me a generous heart, Lord, that I could give people time. I can be hospitable and open my home. Do you see that in you? That's the Holy Spirit doing a work inside of you. And Jesus says he has come to lead us as the church, as sons and daughters. Paul emphasizes this continually. He says we need to remain filled with the Spirit. If I need to give you a picture to help you understand it, and I don't know how theologically correct it is, so forgive me if it's wrong, But imagine you've got a tank that needs to be filled with loving water. In fact, Jesus says that he'll give you water that would never run dry, that you'd be filled. But imagine the Holy Spirit coming inside of you and just filling you so completely that you feel so satisfied. You feel so alive and loved and and, and filled with hope despite what the economy says, despite what COVID news says, despite what job opportunity says. You feel alive and loved and whole. But when that tank, it's not just for you, it starts to overflow, it comes out of you. And the people around you, even now as you're sitting here in this auditorium, the people around you can start to feel this loving, living water that flows out of you to this world. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you with Him. He wants you to know that He's here for you. He wants to lead you and love you and grow you into all that God's got for you. We see in Galatians 5, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. All right. Peter then says in verse 40, he says, save yourselves 
Save yourselves from this crooked generation. In one part, he's talking about the religious leaders. Save yourselves from the liars. Save yourselves from those who are going to mislead you. But save yourselves from the things of this world that will try and distract you and deter you. Have you ever wondered why sin is so attractive? If sin was not attractive, it would be so easy to not deal with sin. But sin was maybe be attractive, so it pulls you away from the most beautiful Jesus that you and I could have. Sin's going to try and lure you away, but you need to see sin for what it is. Don't be lured by the crooked generation. Don't be lured by the things of this world. And then it says in verse 41, those who received his word, they were baptized. They were added that day 3,000. But those who received it, you get to make a choice this morning. And that choice is, will you receive God's word for yourself? Will you open your heart? This is the part where I was asking you to be a bit vulnerable this morning. Will you let down the wall, let down the God, let down the pride, the arrogance, the fear, the worry, and say, Jesus, here's my heart. Come on in. Come on in and do something. I want to receive your word, and then Holy Spirit, you who say you'll come, you're promised, come. Come and do something in me. But I also want to encourage you that when you go out with God's word, this is what God's asking you to do. Bring his word. Don't knock down people's hearts. Don't try and bash down people's walls, but say, Holy Spirit, you get there, because you can. Lord, just give me your words. Give me the gospel. Let me tell them about Jesus' love. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he will do the rest. And so that's our hope. That's our hope.